Well, let's stand together for the reading of God's holy word. We're going to be in Galatians uh, this morning. Uh, we'll spend a little bit of time in 2 Kings and uh, Acts as well, if you want to be uh, finding those books for future reference. Uh, Galatians chapter 1, as we continue to think about living by promise and not performance, I'm actually going to read from Galatians 1, verses 1 through 5. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that as you help us see a great need in our life, reveal that to us this morning, that we will not say, no, I'm not going to do that. Give us grace to, if we see this great need in our life, and that it's present right here, right now, that we won't rest until we pursue this. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Men. Well, you can be seated. With Galatians there in front of you, we are in a series of sermons on um, this thought of living by promise and not performance. And we've sort of been using a visual aid, as it were. Now, how many of you, like me, are sort of visual learners by nature? And so we got a picture we'll put on the screen. And uh, just to kind of recap and remind where we've been, we've been using life on the frontier as a word picture of what it's like to live by faith. For example, the Bible says of Abraham, he went out not knowing where he was going. I'm going to ask a dangerous question. How many of you already know what you're doing for lunch? How many of you are gearing up for that inevitable discussion, what are we doing for lunch? All right, well, that was probably not a good thing to bring up at this moment, so we'll just set that aside. But when you're living in the frontier and you're leaving, say, Independence, Missouri, and you're going to wor work your way along the Oregon trail, trail, there's a few things that it involves, right? The first thing is that the faith frontier requires risk. The faith frontier requires risk. Now, the settlement, right, that they're leaving is where things are familiar, and we could use this word there, comfortable. Do you know one of the chief obstacles to you living for Jesus in this world is ease and comfort? All of us face this. Just where can, I, where can I settle down in life where it's just easy and it's comfortable and still be a witness for Christ? Well, friends, you're probably not going to have that cake and eat it too. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The faith frontier is going to require some risk. When Julie and I went to Life Action Camp back in the summer in July, they used this metaphor. It's where I got it from. And we've talked a lot about this in our life. Where are we moving beyond the settlement. Paul can articulate it pretty clearly. He says in Galatians chapter 1, he says in verse 13, you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach to him among the Gentiles. You see, there's a 
former life, do you as a follower of Jesus, are you able to look back and say, that's who I used to be. That's what I used to live for. And I was zealous for it. And maybe I was even advancing in it. But friends, one of the definitions of of failure is succeeding at the wrong thing. So the faith frontier requires risk. We've also talked about how the faith frontier secondly requires relocation. To state it obviously, if you're you're in Independence, Missouri, and your goal is Oregon, you you can't stay where you are, right? Here's what's true for many of us. We want to be like Christ. We just want to stay where we are. Everybody wants change, but nobody wants to change. We just wish that everybody else would change. Well, the faith frontier requires relocation. If you're not like Jesus, and God's goal is for you to be like Jesus, you're not going to become like Jesus without some significant movement and change. We cannot stay who we are, how we are, and frequently, friends, we can't necessarily stay where we are. So have you been able in these weeks to identify a change that you know needs to take place in your life? That you need to relocate from being irritable and impatient. Anybody here in the room? It's a fight for you. You just find constantly in your life you're irritated, you're impatient. Is that Christ-like? Just us. You can answer out loud, right? No. It's not Christ-like to be irritable and impatient. Christ-likeness is kind and patient. Do you need to relocate from being lustful, having a heart and mind that are pure? Do you need to relocate from being a fearful witness of Jesus to a bold witness for Jesus? Do you need to relocate from self-centered living to others' first living? The faith frontier requires risk. It requires relocation. And in order to keep at it, it's going to require some resources, right? As we've talked again before, that's the relationships and supplies needed to replenish and refresh us as we continue on the frontier, so to speak. Some of those resources that we've talked about is the Word of God, a maturing and growing prayer life, godly friends and faithfulness to and serving in your local church. Those are the very things that God uses to change us. So without these resources, friends, if you're not regularly in the Word, if you're not regularly with the church, if you're not regularly in prayer, and you're not regularly around godly friends who help you, you're going to wear down, wear out, and turn back. It's just a matter of time. Well, that brings us to this morning's emphasis, and that is going to be that the faith frontier is going to require relationships. It's other people, other people who guard us from turning back, who are going to keep us going along the way, and they are headed in the same direction. There's a little phrase here in Galatians chapter 1 that uh, we could tend to just skim right past and not see how important it is. Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And here's the phrase, and all the brothers who are with me. So let's not overlook this phrase. From the moment Paul met Jesus until his last day on earth, he was on mission, right? He was living a life of purpose and power. He was motivated, and he was moving in the direction of becoming more like Jesus. At the same time, his life was full of hardship and suffering, wasn't he? So so I want you to think about these two things and hold them together. 
he's purposeful, he's joyful, he's about Jesus, and everywhere he goes, he's proclaiming Christ, and at the same time, his life was full of hardship and suffering. He tells us that he has a thorn in the flesh. He regularly endures persecution. He's consistently criticized, and he kept going. Now, without a doubt, without a doubt, Paul was just in and of himself a person of great perseverance, right? But there's an important factor in the life of Paul that helps him get to the finish line, and you cannot study his life without seeing the importance of relationships with other believers as a consistent and vital part of his life. So friends, here's the big take home for this morning. If you are to become like Jesus, you are not going to be able to do that alone. You're not. It's a hard lesson for many of us who tend to be more wired to be loners, who tend to say, when the teacher says group project, what? Sanctification, friends, getting to the finish line, it's a group project. Now, I want to give you uh, three quick examples of this important principle in the Bible. So start with me in 2 Kings. So we're going to turn to the Old Testament book of 2 Kings. And I want you to see three people in their life. And we're going to, we're going to see some commonality between what's going on. So um, 2 Kings 19. And of course, when I said that, what I really meant was 1 Kings chapter 19. Ever turn to your Bible and say, that's not what I meant there. There it is. 1 Kings chapter 19. I need help in my life proofreading my sermon notes. So there's my application. I can't write a sermon alone. So 1 Kings chapter 19, the Old Testament example of this principle, Elijah is discouraged and he's distraught and he's a man of God. Did you know all three of those things can go together? He loves the Lord, but man, he is so discouraged. It says in uh, 1 Kings 19, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me or more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Verse 3, then he was afraid. Elijah is afraid. The Bible says he ran for his life. He came to Beersheba which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. I want you to see what happens. It says in verse 9, there he came to a cave and lodged in it. He's withdrawn, right? It's what happens sometimes in our life. We find the nearest cave and say, well, then this is going to be home now. It's going to be my settlement. Withdrawal, he's disconnected, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, this is a great question. What are you doing here, Elijah? Can we just pause here for a moment? Could you just allow the Lord to ask you that question? What are you doing here? Where you are in your life right now, are you there because that's where God desires for you to be? Maybe you're in a cave of despair or a cave of discouragement. And, and this, is, this is God coming with compassion and kindness, but also clarity. We need all three, right? What are you doing here? It's the same question he asked Adam in the garden, right? Where are you? What's he saying? Why are you here? 
And then he says, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Lord of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets. And like Adam, he starts to complain about everybody else, right? They seek my life. I'm the only one left. You know, he's gone from Elijah to Eeyore, hasn't he? Just me. I'm the only one. And in his grace, God straightens him out, and then God gives him a gift. And I want you to see what the gift is. I'd love to study all of this, but look at verse 19. So he departed from there and found Elisha. Found a friend. Found a relationship, somebody who's going to guard him from turning back, who's going to keep him going along the way, and somebody who's headed in the same direction. Don't think, don't think you can do something Elijah could not do. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 35. This is when the angel appears to Mary and tells her the good news that uh, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Verse 35, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. But you got to think about it for a moment. Here's Mary receiving this word from the Lord, but everyone around her is going to misunderstand, right? Everyone else. She's called to do something great for the Lord, and God's going to work in her life, and God's going to be with her. But man, she's going to no doubt face confusion and questions and criticism. Joseph himself, as we know from the Bible, he's ready to break it all off because he doesn't quite understand all that's going on. But look what happens, verse 36. Behold, your relative... Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son and is in the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country, to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. What's Mary doing? I'm not going to go at this alone. I need to find somebody who is going to guard me from turning back, going to keep me going along the way, and somebody who's headed in the same direction. Mary knows that she needs someone in her life because what's going on in her life will not make sense to anybody who doesn't know what she knows. Friends, when Mary is stressed, she she seeks out a spirit-led friend. One more example of this. Acts chapter 17. So if you're in Luke, you want to Flip over two books to Acts chapter 17. This is Paul himself. Acts chapter 17, just to give a little context here. Acts uh, 17 verse 14. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way. So he's leaving a town. He's going to the sea. But Silas and Timothy, thus his travel companions, those are his friends, Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So Paul's in Athens, and he's alone, and it says, while he was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Now again, this is a wonderful chapter and a lot of helpful things here, but essentially for our purposes this morning, just know that Paul's by himself, and he's so distraught over the uh, idols that he sees everywhere in Athens that he just has to say, I've got, got to do something about this, and he begins to speak. 
He's in Athens, which in that day was sort of like the Ivy League or the Oxford University of its day, where people are so smart, so-called intelligent, right? And the Bible says here in verse 17, they could think, talk of nothing but something new. Wow, how things have changed. And Paul shares the gospel, and look what happens in verse 32. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Others said, we'll hear you more about this later. So Paul went out from their midst, but some enjoined him and believed. That's why we share the gospel. Got to get through the mockers and the procrastinators in order to reach those who will believe. But he's been on his own, right? And, and if we look at chapter 18 and verse 9, we know that this is a season of discouragement in Paul's life because it says in verse 9, The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Now, why does God have to say to Paul, do not be afraid, but go on speaking? Why does he have to say that? It's pretty simple, right? Because he was afraid and he was thinking, I'm not going to speak anymore. But look what he did. Look what Paul does when he gets to Corinth. First thing he does, verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Now that's Paul writing to the Corinthians, and so that's a little bit of help behind his letter, light and momentary affliction. These are people who aren't dealing with small things. These are people who've lost all things. But I want you to see that Paul's first step when he gets to Corinth is what? I've got to find somebody. I cannot do this alone. If I do this alone, I'm going to quit. I'm going to settle. So you see it in the scripture. Many more examples of this that we could do. But Elijah needs Elisha. Mary needs Elizabeth. Paul needs Aquila. And if Elijah doesn't have Elisha, you saw it in the scripture. What's he ready to do? Give up. Despair. He's ready to settle. Paul is prone to, and I've been at this a while, and his, the going's gotten tough. Maybe I just need to relax and settle. So friends, who's your Elisha, or your Elizabeth, or your Aquila, or your Barnabas, or your Silas? And just as importantly, to whom are you, Elisha? And to whom are you, Elizabeth? And to whom are you, Aquila? To give you a few frontier, or what are we on the outline going to call them, relationship principles for the frontier. You saw the picture, we won't put it back on the screen, but the wagon train, right? They're traveling together. Now, we love the old westerns where there's uh, the Lone Ranger, right? But you're not going to get there alone. So here's pr uh, relationship principle number one. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. Hey, let's put this picture on the screen. All of you are going to recognize this pretty quickly, right? See this with fair regularity. It's Canadian geese. Do you know they migrate up to 3,000 miles and they fly in this V formation? Now, somebody did some work and research to get this statistic, but it says they go together in a group and it's estimated they travel 71% further together than they would if they were alone. So uh, here's the deal. The formation that they form helps them conserve energy. The pattern reduces wind resistance to those in the 
back formation, right? When the one in the front, whose life is basically, right? When he gets tired, he or she drops back and someone else takes the place. And this formation, the researchers say, it's the ones at the back who do all the honking that you hear, right? You know what they're doing? I'll translate. Keep going. We ain't there yet. Hey, lead uh, goose up there. Doing all right? Need a break? Need to switch it up? We can, we can keep going. We can keep going. We can do this. What's Paul doing in Acts 18? He gets to Corinth. He's getting back in formation, right? He says to them, 1 Corinthians 2, 3, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. He says, man, we're somebody headed in the same direction. I'm going to get back in formation. So friends, I'll tell you this, I see it happen over and over and over and over and over again. Here's a person, and they're really going, going after Jesus, and then they meet some stiff wind resistance. So can we put it this way? It is perfectly okay to drop back. It is not okay to drop out. You can drop back, right? We're all going to get there together. You can drop back, okay? I'm not going to stand. I'm not going to be the windshield of this formation right now. But I'm also not going to drop out. In this shallow age of self-promotion, you've got to have some friends in your life that know the real you. And you need more than Christian acquaintances. You need other people who will sharpen you and challenge you and encourage you. When, when you're asked the question, how are you doing? You need somebody in your life that you actually answer the question truthfully. You need some people who honk at you, right? Hey, we're getting off course. Where are you going? Because sin and discouragement thrive in isolation. A grumbling heart thrives in isolation. So it's okay to drop back. It's not okay to drop out. And here's how the church will often work is the one who for a season needs to drop back, not quit, not giving up, but I'm going to drop back. And then what happens is we all are part of his body, right? Sometimes you'll be the encourager. And then there will be times that you are the one who needs to be encouraged. And here's why. Because we do not make good counselors for ourselves. Did you know that? We do not. We do not do well with this. We do not provide good accountability for ourselves, right? I'll just use one word to prove this. Diet. Like the story I read about a, a guy who uh, decided he was going to go on a diet. And uh, uh, he got to the stoplight and there's the donut shop. And he said, uh, Lord, if, uh, if you want me to not go in there and get the donut today, then uh, you, just, you just work it out. There will not be any parking spots available. So he gets to the stoplight, and there's no parking spots available. But lo and behold, after driving around the block a dozen times, there was a parking spot that was available. Right? We just don't. We, we don't. We lie to ourselves. We rationalize to ourselves. We tell ourselves, we'll do this tomorrow. I love what Adrian Rogers says. Is it Adrian Rogers says, the devil doesn't care what you do as long as you'll do it tomorrow. 
We don't make good counselors for ourselves. We don't interpret the circumstances in our lives well. We do not stay on the straight and narrow well on our own. And friends, if Elijah needed help, and Mary needed help, and Paul needed help, we all need help. So if you're at a place in your life right now of isolation, ask God to give you help to break out of it. How how does a goose know who a goose is? How does a believer heading in Christ-like direction know who else is heading in the Christ-like direction? You can begin by looking around, right? And birds of a feather flock together. I know that's not the scripture, but if you're saying, I don't know, I am in isolation, where do I begin? Well, will you begin by praying that God would open your eyes? Is there somebody around me that we could be in this together? If I'm a, if I'm a man, is there another brother in the Lord who, we, we, we can be in this together? Or ladies with another lady, I can be in this together. As groups of twos or threes. Done. So if, if you're in a place right now of isolation, meaning that with great regularity your day ends, and you go to bed, and, or, or maybe you don't, you're up all night, and you just feel isolated. I want you to know that is not the way God has designed the body of Christ. So one, if you want to go fast, go alone, although you won't get anywhere. You'll get there fast, but you won't get to a good place. And if you want to go far, go together. Second is be purposeful and intentional in your relationships. Aim to leave others more knowledgeable of and focused on Jesus. So purpose to point your friends to Jesus. Now, a couple of real practical um, thoughts here, practical suggestions. Number one, over the course of the last year and a half or so, uh, I, I read this in a book and, and now just put it in, into practice, is that there are four Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew has 28 chapters. Mark has 16 chapters. Luke has 24 chapters. And John has 21. Anybody able to add that up real quick? That's 89. So that's right at 90, which means if you'll read a chapter of one of the Gospels a day, over the course of three months, you'll read all four, and then you just keep that cycle going. Here's what I'm getting at. If you want to aim, uh, aim to leave others more knowledgeable and focused on Jesus, guess what's going to have to be true for you? It's going to have to be knowledgeable of and focused on Jesus. And that's just a practical suggestion. It takes probably four minutes to read a chapter and I don't mean just check it off, spend time, and over, you do that cycle once, and then twice, and then three times, and then four times in a year, and you keep going, that you're always spending time with Jesus. Now, all Scripture's profitable, right? I don't mean to elevate one uh, um, section of Scripture above the others, but at minimum, I want to see Jesus every day. And loving people means serving them under their very, very best goal in life, which is knowing Jesus. So don't just make a phone call. Make a phone call and talk about Jesus. Now, can I just get really practical? It's, it's uh, unnatural for too many of us to do that. It's easier to talk about, and we could list about a thousand things, couldn't we? It's really chilly outside today. Did you see the game last night? And how are the children? And what can happen is we talk about anything and everything under the sun and don't ever talk about the sun, right? So can you make a phone call and, you know what I found in life, this is just silly, but I just found out just, just saying things out loud helps cut to the chase, right? Hey, you know what? I found in my life it's really hard to talk about Jesus, but let's try to talk about Jesus. What are you learning about Jesus? What, what are you, what's he doing in your life right now, right? 
So don't just grab a cup of coffee. Grab a cup of coffee and talk about Jesus with someone. So again, it's not easy, but it is worth it. But I also think when Paul was with Silas, it wasn't strange for them to talk about Jesus. I don't think when Mary entered the room, well, you can go and read what they said. And Elizabeth standing there, you know what their whole conversation is about? Jesus. So I don't have an acronym, you know, look, if you'll do these three things. <laughs> but I do think you need friends in your life who regularly ask you a few simple questions. So I jotted down, here's good questions. Is your heart focused on Jesus today? There's no emoji for that. You need a face-to-face conversation, right? Is your heart focused on Jesus today? How are you serving Jesus today? What's holding you back from abiding in Jesus today? And how can we pray together about these things? You need friends like that in life, right? If not, we'll wear down, wear out, and turn back. Number three, relationship principle for the frontier. Number three, pray with people more than you tell them you are praying for them. We're in Galatians. Um, just see, that, see this together. Um, turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. You'll just see this. It'll be pretty obvious. Uh, Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ, to all the saints of Christ who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ, this very next book in the Bible, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you in peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, when we pray for you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, the very next book of the Bible. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you in peace. We give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. The point's obvious, right? One of Paul's primary activities, in fact, his first activity with other people was to pray. So let's stop telling people we're praying for them and pray with them. Pray on the phone, pray in the car, pray in the church. Now, we've arrived at a very common problem. And it's this. Let's put the next picture on the screen. Y'all just bear with me. Okay. It's Brock Lesnar who I think could literally take my two arms and rip them off the bone. Here's the common problem. A lot of people, if given the choice between stepping in the octagon to go three rounds with Brock Lesnar and praying out loud in front of other people, would say, wear the gloves. At least that will be over quickly, right? Now we can take Brock, thanks Brock, and he looks really mad, so let's pray for him maybe. But it's true. Now, the best way to overcome the fear of praying in front of other people is to become utterly convinced that praying is not about you. 
Now, I know there's fear. I, I know. I, I had to get over a huge fear of public speaking. In fact, I had told God, I don't think I'm called to preach. I can't bear to stand up there and preach. But do you know what the lesson was for me to get over that fear? This isn't about me. This is about his word and his truth. It's got to go out. And So the best way of... Well, sometimes we make prayer too man-centered and people-focused rather than God-centered and Christ-focused. Again, I know, I know there are people who don't want to talk in front of anyone for any reason. But there are some forms of resistance in this world, some wind resistance, that prayer is the only response we've got, friends. Why is Paul starting all of these letters out in prayer? Because he knows that he and Barnabas and Timothy and Silas or whoever else is helping him write these things, there's some things that need to get done that they're not able to do, and there's some things going on in a church that the only way to address them is through prayer. And so the number one enemy of prayer, of prayer is self-sufficiency. You see how all these things go together? The number one enemy of you developing and cultivating godly friendships is self-sufficiency. But we really need each other. But we also need more than each other. And it's the beauty of all, everything we've seen. Elijah, it's God's presence and a partner. Mary, it's God's presence and a partner. Paul, it's God's presence and a partner. Now you go to Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. If you ever feel like, I don't know if I can pray in front of another person. You, uh, well, for the sake of time, we won't look at it together. But Luke 11, 1 to 4, you study it, think over it. It's Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. So you focus on the kingdom, you ask for what's needed, you ask for help, you ask to become like God, and you ask for help in fighting sin. That's the Lord's prayer. But these two go together, so number, uh, these, these principles, they all do, but, but number four, relationship principle for the frontier is you got to reject passivity in your spiritual life and pursue friendships with others who help. Spiritual passivity got passed down to us from Adam when he needed to pray and when he needed to seek the Lord he didn't do anything and so many of our issues in our homes in our church in our community is those who need to be on their knees praying and helping and loving and serving and sacrificing aren't doing anything what is the letter of Galatians it's a letter written by Paul with the help of his friends that's rejecting passivity he's heard there's some people man they're drifting they started out but they're turning back and Paul's response to that is well I guess that's how the cookie crumbles. I guess that's what happens sometimes. Well, they've chosen a different path. Well, they got to choose for themselves. They got their own lives. He loves them enough to confront them and speak to them and say, don't turn back. Don't go back to the settlement. Life is this way. Christ is this way. Astonished. That you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but some have troubled you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. I tell you, if I or an angel from heaven would come to proclaim to you a gospel contrary to the one that we taught, let him be accursed. As I've said before, so I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that we taught to you, let him be accursed. That's not passive, is it? It's pretty active. Put one more picture on the screen and we've used this one before that's denver colorado right if you follow the oregon trail from independence missouri and up to oregon about uh i don't know if it's halfway or so but 
Along the way, there's a stop called Denver, Colorado. It's a beautiful city, isn't it? The Mile High City. You see the city, and then you see what looms in the background, right? The Rocky Mountains. And it's not hard to understand what happened in Denver, Colorado, is it? People set out. We're heading to Oregon. And who knows why they settled at a place that wasn't their planned destination. Maybe the wagon wheel got busted, right? I'm looking at the picture, maybe the weather turned really cold. The children got sick. The body was worn out. And it starts probably with just this suggestion. Let's just rest here for a little while. Let's just catch our breath. Let's regroup. But it's not a long time, is it, friends, that a time of regrouping becomes settling. You meant to linger for a moment, but now that lingering has lasted. You, 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 were going to, you weren't going to just set aside Bible reading or prayer time or pursuing Jesus. You're just going to do it for a moment, but he said, I'm just going to catch my breath. Well, friends, he is your breath. He said, I was just going to rest. He is your rest. You're just going to do it for a little while, but now, now the zip code is, I don't know the zip code of Denver, so that didn't work, but. And find me in Denver. Sounds like a country song, doesn't it? Are you in Denver? Be- because the mountains just loomed a little too large, right? Elijah was in Denver when God said, where are you? Paul got to Corinth, but it was Denver, right? Now, uh, friends, there are huge mountains out there. There are. We're, we're, we're not suggesting that there aren't. Man, there are significant, through many tribulations must we enter the kingdom. That's what the Bible says. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Now, passivity thrives in isolation. When you stand alone, the mountain looks huge. And when you walk alone, you'll carve out for yourself a life of settlement that might be sprinkled with some religious activity, but it won't be a life of robust, sacrificial, faithful, persevering. I know it's freezing cold out there. I know the wagon wheel's busted, but we're going to keep on going. That's Paul's testimony, isn't it? And everything that could have gone wrong has gone wrong. If you don't have some other like-minded, believing Jesus-focused people in your life, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when you'll pull up the stakes. No, that's the opposite. Put down the stakes (laughs) and settle. I'm sure Denver's a wonderful city. I don't mean to demean Denver, but I do mean to ask you, back to the question, God says, where are you? But in all honesty, you have to say, cave of isolation. Well, we're going to conclude and wrap up with um, just a few applications. Make them specific as I can. I want you to really think through this. See if you've got questions for these answers. Number, uh, no, no, answers for these questions. Number one, who is your Elisha? Who is your Elizabeth? 
who is your Aquila. If you do have someone like that in life, I'd encourage you to, to, uh, to seek that person out and just tell, hey, you're my Elisha. You are my Aquila. You are my Elizabeth. Let's keep going. If you don't have someone right now that you need in that way, would you ask God to help you find somebody? And don't be passive about it. Don't have to do the old middle school check yes or no kind of deal. Just go talk to them. Would you be willing this morning to take a step of initiative? So one, do you have an Elisha, an Elizabeth, an Aquila? Number, number two, have you dropped out? You didn't drop back, you dropped out. Got your Denver Broncos jersey and everything, right? I got good news for you. God hasn't. Jesus hasn't dropped out. He hasn't quit. Philippians 1.3, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work will carry it to completion. we took these um, four points I want you to see what a friend we have in Jesus I want to end by speaking about him because he's the one that keeps us going and ultimately that's what our destination is is to be with him forever so four exhortations on the basis of Christ's person number one don't go alone in Christ God has declared that he has not separated himself or distance himself from us. He could have. He could have left us alone, but he hasn't. In Christ, God has declared, I am with you. Number two, when we said for you in your life to develop intentional, purposeful relationships, know about Christ, that in Christ, God's relationship with us is intentional and purposeful. He is working for our good. His purpose is for us to be with him and to be like him, not isolated, not cut off, not alone. Number three, I encourage you to be someone who doesn't just tell people you're praying for them, you really pray with them. In Christ, we have a constantly praying friend. He ever lives to make intercession for us. And number four, I encourage you this morning to not be passive. Well, friends, in Christ, we have a friend who is anything but passive. He is not uncaring. He has not checked out. He actively came to earth. He actively became a servant. He actively went to the cross, so let the cross speak to you more than the cave or Corinth speaks to you. So we can risk, we can relocate, we can plug into the resources that we need and invest in the relationships that, uh, that are Christ-centered so that we, like Paul, can one day say, oh, I finished this race, I finished this race. But I do want you to know, as a pastoral exhortation, you will not finish it alone you might crawl to the finish line. <laughs> Man, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. There's no headwind so strong that we've got to settle before we get to the finish line. Let's stand together and we're going to pray together. And then let's put these things to practice. Let's pray. Let's not be passive. Let's let our invitation not be passive. Let's think and pray and be humble. Some of you may want to be on your knees before the Lord and pray, not for public uh, appearances, but because you really, as you, with your church family, want to pray. God, liberate us from spiritual passivity and liberate us from shallow friendships that aren't about Christ. Father, thank you that we have such a friend in Jesus. Well, Jesus, what a friend for sinners. So God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would help us to see very clearly 
that uh, Elisha, Mary, Paul, none of them could keep going without your presence and godly friends. So may Calvary Baptist Church be a place where these are the kind of friendships we have with each other. And God, thank you that we are going to get to the finish line, those of us who are believers in Jesus. But it will not be by our own merit or our own effort. It will be by a promise that you who began a good work in us, you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So Father, I pray that we are concerned not just with our own little selves getting to the finish line, but all of us together, that we are in this together for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.